And I want to talk to you tonight about uh, being on guard for somebody and 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 uh, religions judging you because you don't live up to human expectations. How many of you live up to expectations? How many of you can live up to your own expectations? Anybody? Nope. So I want to talk to you about how to deal with failure to live up to human expectations and how people will judge you and how we don't have to worry about them. Father, we pray that you would uh, help us tonight. I know there are a lot of, um, there are always a lot of heartaches. There's not one of us who doesn't have some corner of our memory or our thoughts that aren't on something that hurts. And so I'm glad that you've given us the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. So I, I, I need to ask you, God, that you would minister to needs tonight. I can't. I can't do anything. But I can pray. And I can plead with you and ask you to intervene and do the impossible and encourage not only your people, but also people that, that are um, broken beyond help. They're not beyond your reach, Lord. Lazarus was four days dead and you still could reach him. <laughs> and so would you please encourage and bless the needs of your people here tonight. And teach us. Let us enjoy this, this wonderful spiritual meal in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're in Colossians chapter 2. And again, as I said over this past several weeks in chapter 2, the theme of Colossians is twofold. First of all, the preeminence of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ. Preeminence means he's all there is. <laughs> God says, and I love Isaiah, because the humor in Isaiah is kind of God's humor. He says, "He says, uh, I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none beside me. I know not any. Now that's God, you got to realize, God says, you know, I'm looking around up here and there's no other God up here but me. <laughs> Which is great humor, all right? So when you think about who you need and and who Christ is, he's all there is you need to worry about. And he is all sufficient. So the purpose is to take that and make it very applicable to us. First of all, that if I'm in Christ, I'm okay. You know, a lot of people think, well, if I can just if I can just move to Australia, I'll, I'll be happy. If I can just move to England and get a job, I'll, I'll be okay. If we move to Dublin, I'll be able to uh, 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 get a job and I'll be okay. If we just move out to the country, uh, I'll be okay. We always think some other place is better. Let me tell you, in Christ is where you need to be. All right, There are plenty of people who have found themselves in prison or in holes in the ground covered over with... Um, uh, uh, with metal grates and fed through tiny little holes and drinking rainwater uh, as prisoners of war. And the only thing that got them through was their relationship with Jesus Christ. So I tell you, the purpose of Colossians gets you to teach you of your place in Christ and to warn you to beware of anybody who's trying to rob you of that great closeness you already have. How far away is God from any of us? He's not far from any of us. He's actually not even far from the unsaved. An unsaved person thinks, well, I've got to go to church, or I've got to go to the cathedral, or I've got to go, uh, you know, on some pilgrimage. You don't have to go very far at all. He's not far from anyone. So to understand that some religion who says, you know, all right, we well, got to do, 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 and maybe God will notice you, is a liar. So there's all, when we get to chapter three, all of a sudden, 
the floodgates will open, the practicality will just just be so cool. But it's all built upon the truths of chapter 1 and chapter 2, which we spent a lot of time working on. So by way of review, Colossians 2, verse 9 and 10, look at your Bible, let's read them. For in him, in Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Which is crazy. That inside the body of Jesus Christ, as he walked on the earth, was all of God. And at the same time, where was God? He was everywhere. So only God can be everywhere and in one place at the same time. Verse 10, and ye are complete in him. So he's complete and we're complete, which is the head of all principality and power. So Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, is all we need. And and you have all you need in Christ. You are complete in him. Uh, your nose may be a little bent. Uh, you may have spots on your face. You may have scars. You may have... You may be short. You may be. Um, uh, you may waddle when you walk. Who knows? But you know what the Bible says? You're perfect. You're all right in Christ. You're complete. You lack nothing. See, I need to be. I need to be married. Well, that's a good thing. As a matter of fact, it's a very good thing. But you don't have. That's not going to make your life. Um, you are already complete in Christ. So how did God make us this way? How did He make us so free? And how do you do it without our religion? How do you do it without our church? How do you do it without our morality and our theology and our good works? Well, we've gone through this and I love, I, I would spend all, I would spend all month going over and over this because until you believe this, you're never going to enjoy the practical part of the Christian life. The practical part of Christian life is not prayer. Alright? Let me say this. Reverse that. Prayer is not the, the enjoyable part of Christian life until the understanding of why pray. What are we accessing when we pray? The realities of prayer make prayer joyful. Does that make sense? Okay, so the practical aspects of prayer, the practical aspects of soul winning, the practical aspects of loving your husband or your wife, the practical aspects of training your children, the practical aspects of just reading your Bible come alive when you have a foundation of absolute truth, which is what chapter 1 and chapter 2 are about. And it, and, and it, the truths of Colossians are we're free in Christ. Number one, Jesus did it by himself, which we read in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He by himself freed us from our sin. Number two, he spiritually circumcised you without hands, so it's not a physical. As a matter of fact, the things that are more important are invisible. Um, The Jews had a a physical circumcision. They had a physical circumcision. uh, set of, of ceremonies and circumstances they went through in order to be a part of the covenant of God. I have a spiritual based relationship, invisible, in what God did. How many, <clears throat> now we talked about this really over the last two weeks. Somebody tell me when the Bible says he circumcises, put that in your own words. What did he do with your soul and your flesh and your spirit? Somebody raise your hand and tell me. <clears throat> Severs? Yeah, but give me the full sentence. Okay, yeah, Severs, he, he cut away what was damning you. And I don't have a, I wish I'd gone and grabbed three cups, but there are three parts to you, your body, soul, and spirit. And which part of it, which part of you is, is, um, uh, which part of you is dead from the moment you were conceived until the moment you die, Unless you're born again, which part of you is dead? The body, the soul, or the spirit? Your spirit. So your spirit can't help you no matter how hard you pray, no matter how hard you go to church, 
your spirit is dead towards God, it cannot, it can't help you. So the real you, the middle you, the soul inside, the you is attached to the flesh. And that flesh is your eyes, your hands, your feet, feet which are swift to shed blood, mouth, how many times does your mouth get you in trouble? All the things about me show up in my flesh. And what God did was God took and severed, separated the flesh from having a connection with my soul. And then he regenerated my spirit so that even though my flesh sins, how many of your flesh sins? How many of you have flesh that sins? We all do. Even though my flesh sins, it cannot damn my soul anymore. Because the Bible said in the Old Testament, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. So listen, every time somebody with their eyes lusted after a woman, it was, it was part of the damning of the soul. It's, it, I'm going to reap what I sow. Guess what? Now that I'm saved, tell me something. Now that I'm saved, will I reap what I sow in my flesh when I sin? Yes, I will. My flesh will still reap what it sows. My flesh, when, when, uh, 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 I steal, I'll, I'll still, I'll still get caught. Uh, uh, you lie, you'll get caught, you may lose your job. You will reap what you sow, but only in your flesh. Will your soul ever reap for your sin now that you're saved? No. Who reaped for your sin? Jesus did. Now, the Charismatics and the, the Pentecostals, they believe that when Jesus died, he died to save you from the reaping of your flesh so that you should not be sick anymore, so that you won't have troubles anymore, so that you can be wealthy, healthy, and happy for the rest of your life. They're lying. He didn't die to save you from your flesh. He died to save you from the sin's effect on your soul. Does that make sense? So when he talks about circumcision, he talks about something that's very Jewish. But he describes and he says, it is a, an operation made without hands that separated your soul from what was sinning. So will your, will your flesh ever stop sinning in this life? Not at all. That's why we need a new body, amen? So he spiritually circumcised you without hands. Number three, he freed you by hiding you in him. Let's read Colossians 2, 11 and 12 and 13. We'll just, in whom also? Ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. In putting off, notice the words, the body of the sins of the what? So what did God do when he spiritually circumcised me? He severed the body of the sins of my flesh. And he says, there, go ahead and sin, and it will not damn. Now, I'll die young. If I, if I continue to live in sin, shall we continue to live in sin that grace is abound, that grace may abound? No. But my flesh will sin. But it's now separated from me by the circumcision of Christ. Verse 12. Buried with him in baptism. Water baptism or what kind of baptism? It's a spiritual baptism. You're not, you're not physically circumcised to get into the covenant anymore. And you're not physically baptized to get into the covenant. It's spiritual. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins. And the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. You know what they do when somebody, when somebody, you, you watch these, uh, you know, fancy, I don't know, the old movies were, if somebody was a, um, gonna be a secret agent, they would stage a car crash and kill off the old Dan Everly. Don't get any ideas. 
<clears throat> and they'd kill off the old Dan Eberly so that he could come out and have a new identity. You know, when you got saved, the old you died, and you have a whole new identity now. And your identity is in Christ. Your life is hid with God in Christ. It is amazing. He hid you by hiding you in him, and he freed you by giving you a whole new life. And we don't have time, but that's what we've looked at. That's what made us so free. The life which I now live is 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 a different life than I used to live. So what is one of the ways that you know, it's, it's one of the confirming ways that you know a person's saved? He's changed. God does that. You just don't wake up one morning and say, I think I'll be a good little boy. No, you tried that all before you got saved. It didn't go very long, did it? But when he got saved, all of a sudden, your desires, your your interests, they changed. They weren't perfect, but they were changed. So, now, all in all, in none of that, it says it was by the hand of God. It was a, it was it was the operation of God. No human hands have any part in your salvation. Whether whether surgery, nobody can get deep enough to fix your soul. Uh, counseling can't. You know you know what a psychologist believes. Psychologist. Somebody said marriage is is. Never mind. I won't go there. Psychology. Anyway, psychologist is somebody who believes in a psyche. The psyche is the soul, but they don't believe in the spirit. They don't think that there's anything spiritual about you. You have emotions. You have a soul. So a psychologist try to help you with your soul when your problem may be a broken spirit, maybe a dead spirit. So counseling, some faith healer, somebody who can in the name of Jesus can 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 heal you and put their hand on you. Or even trying, well, I've been baptized 17 times. I was in the, I've had people come here in Ireland who have come to me and says, I was baptized in the Jordan River. Big deal. Because none of them have any ability to ever bring you closer to God. Amen. Jesus said, I am the way. You want to get to the Father? Come through me. All right. So the results we talked to also uh, last week, we just talked about what Christ, what God did through Christ. Let's look at the next verse. There's verse 14. We already said there where he says, uh, he's quickened us together with him. But verse 14 says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So just stopping there, Jesus Christ made you alive. <clears throat> and really, uh, honestly, you may not feel like it, but it ought to be a reality in your life that when you sing and when you get a chance to be a gospel witness, when you get a chance to, to just do anything you do it unto the Lord because he's made you, he's giving you a second chance. You're alive. So he made you alive. He forgave you how many trespasses? I love it. <clears throat> Where do we see that? Let's see. Why am I missing it here? Is it verse 13? Thank you. And having forgiven you all trespasses. Then it gets even better. We talked about this last week. He blotted out the handwriting of ordinances. I mean, anybody remember that list? There were some things that I forgot on it there. But what did God do with all the things? It is, it, listen, it's a book of evidence. Nobody had to make up the list of my sins. What did God do to that list according to verse 14? He blotted it out. Can't be read anymore. And then just to make sure, just to make sure that 
Nobody could bring up my sins ever again. Where did that list of sins go? Onto the cross. Nailing it to the cross. It's a double a shredding of the, of the evidence against me. Gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. Um, <clears throat> another great thing that uh, God did through Jesus Christ was he made, he uh, uh, robbed and spoiled all our enemies. You know what God robbed the devil of? Me. <clears throat> he took me from the devil. He robbed the devil of a tool that the devil had, and now I belong to Jesus. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. All of my enemies, every demon, every devil, every principality, thought that they had me. And the Lord on the cross cried out, it is finished, and he took me. Now, it took it 22,000 years ago, but it took effect on me 36, 37 years ago. And Jesus robbed the devil. I like that. I hate the devil being the robber and being the thief. <clears throat> Jesus spoiled the devil. Amen. And he made fool out of our enemies. Um, uh, anyway, uh, you therefore, and I just say it, I don't think anybody really lets it hit them like it does me sometimes. I, I one time heard a preacher say, when he got thoroughly, thoroughly encouraged one night, uh, it was a, it was a, uh, uh, a pretty wicked man when he got saved. Evil man. And this preacher was saying when he was about, uh, he got saved when he was 28 years old. And when he was about 29 years old, he was considering going into the ministry. <clears throat> he sat down and the devil came and whispered in his ear and says, you are not qualified. He thought about, yeah, I know. You've been wicked. Yeah, I know. You've done some wicked, awful things. I mean, I could tell you some of the stories. <clears throat> and then he just started to laugh and laugh, and he found himself with the deepest, heartiest belly laugh he had ever had in his life. And he says, <laughs> I'm saved. I'm, he didn't, he didn't think about how good he was. He wasn't boasting about, man, I'm, I'm changed. I am a better man. I'm a better husband. I'm, I'm a better. No, he just said, oh, I'm saved. And he laughed for a good half hour. And that spoke to me. And you know, I need a good laugh like that every once in a while. Amen. That I'm totally saved. So, the point of all this, what does all that bring to? Verse 16 now. We'll read down, verse 16 down to verse 23. Because <clears throat> there's a therefore. You ever read, you ever heard somebody say, find out what the therefore is there for. So verse 16 goes, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body, Christian Church is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility, worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head 
from which all the body, by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered, and knit together, increases with the increase of God. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances, to commandments, touch not, taste not, handle not, which are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Now, there's a lot of chewing there. I'll see how far I can go. But the point of all this is this. Number one, no one should be able to judge you for not living up to a religious expectation. Nobody should. Don't let anyone, especially a law-keeping Jew, judge you for not being a law-keeping Jew, is his point. Go to Acts chapter 15. Hold in your place here, Acts chapter 15, verse 5. Acts 15, verse 5. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed. So do Pharisees get saved? Yeah, they do. Well, there are some of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, and they were saying that it was needful to circumcise physically some Gentiles. And they wanted to command them to keep the law of Moses. Look down at verse 10. This is the response that Peter had. Verse 10, now therefore, Peter responds and says, Why tempt ye God? Why do you provoke God? Why are you pushing God to condemn us and to judge us for this? to put a yoke upon the neck of the Gentile disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. What is Peter admitting? We couldn't live it. Why do we think some Gentile can become a good Jew in order to become a good Christian? Go down to verse 24, I think it is, is the next one. Let me find my verse. Yeah, verse 24, 15, 24. For as much as we have heard that certain, certain, certain people which went out from us have troubled you Gentiles, you believers, with their words, subverting your souls. Now, that's a good phrase. What do you think that means? To subvert a soul. Say again? Turn them upside down, okay. But how would that, what does that mean practically? Upsetting their souls. Pulling the rug out from under them. Making them doubt their salvation. To subvert their soul is to actually try to change them from their confidence in Christ. He says, there were some who came out, who went out from us, and they've troubled you with words, subverting your soul, saying, ye must be circumcised and keep the law in whom we gave no such commandment. So he goes on and he says, forget about what you, again, the verses he says, uh, the, uh, these guys, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day. Forget about what you eat. Did you know a good diet doesn't make you more spiritual? Amen. Now, that doesn't mean that you ought to go out and start eating McDonald's every night, right? Amen. Don't eat McDonald's unless you absolutely, 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 absolutely have to. Have to, have to. So, but if somebody in here does go out and eat McDonald's, <gasps> do they know the chemicals that are in there? You know, uh, when somebody judges you based on what you eat or you don't eat, They've got the problem, not you, when it comes to spiritual. Now, somebody may be concerned about your health. Somebody may be worried about taking off some of the tire around your waist. Some may be worried about you and worried about blood pressure, right? Somebody may be worried about, you know, old age. 
No, anything. I'm the one that fits that one today. Uh, when somebody says that we've got to worry about these things, that's a good thing for our health. But it's not worrying about our spirit at all. Listen, um, hold on to that thing there for a second. What we eat, go to Romans chapter 14. Romans 14 and verse 14. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing now unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything unclean to be anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So uh let's pretend that Rodell, now Rodell eats all kinds of crazy things. I'm not even gonna mention stuff, but if he says, Oh, I can't eat that, well, okay, all right, that's unclean to you. But it's not unclean to me. So uh when somebody starts to say you can't eat something or else it'll put you, it'll separate you from God, it'll make you unclean, unholy on the inside, it's not true. Nobody should judge you and make you live up to a certain diet for spirituality. Uh, or drink. You know, the Nazarites weren't allowed to have a grape or a raisin because it was connected with making wine and they weren't allowed to touch anything, not even to touch anything that was connected to wine, uh, and whether it's fruit juice or anything, they weren't allowed to touch anything like that. I'm allowed to touch it, eat it, sleep on it. I don't care. Um, but to them, to a lot of people, people have a way of judging based on what you eat, whether you drink, or what about, he says there in Colossians, are a holy day. Did you know the Jews had seven particular feast days, celebration days? They also celebrated the Passover, the Day of Atonement, Purim, which is the day for lots. I don't celebrate one of them. Does anybody in here celebrate Passover? No. Anybody remember the Feast of Tabernacles? No. But you see, a Jewish Pharisee might come in and go, you, you Gentiles aren't quite good enough. That's not right, all right? That's not right. Now, some people, I've had people come up to me and say this. It's happened too many times where they say, Brother Ledbetter, Brother Ledbetter, I'm praying you get the second blessing. Meaning that I don't speak in tongues. And so they'll put the guilt trip on me. Oh, I got to speak in tongues to be spiritual. Before I ever got saved, I sat in a church all night long at about 14 years old. And all night long, they sang songs like Kumbaya. How many ever heard of that dumb thing? Kumbaya. And they wore everyone out. We're all kind of hypnotized and everything. And the push was to get all these young people to speak in tongues. I never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ once. I heard the emphasis on speaking in tongues. And I begged God to give me the gift of speaking in tongues. I never asked him for the gift of God, which is eternal life. It made me feel like I've got to speak in tongues in order to be closer to God. Let no man judge you. You get the point? No one should be able to judge you for not living up to a religious expectation. Uh, how about the new moon? He goes on there and he says, don't let me judge you in respect of a holy day or of a new moon. What was that all about? Well, it was a special celebration at the beginning of every month where they stopped everything and they said it's the beginning of the month and so it was a special Sabbath. And they had a nice dinner and everything. Or on the Sabbath days, anybody see... How many, how many Sabbaths can you have in a week? Did you know you can actually have 
at least two Sabbaths in a week. When Jesus died, he died on a high Sabbath, which was, he died on Wednesday. And then there was another Sabbath on Saturday. Sabbath just meant no work, rest. And so you don't always have a Saturday Sabbath as the only Sabbath. There were lots of Sabbaths. Now, all of these things were Jewish Old Testament expectations of Jews. How many of you are Jews here tonight? I'm not talking about spiritual Jews. How many of you are Jews? Not one of you. How many of you want to be a Jew? Hopefully not one of you. You know who you want to be like? Jesus. Amen. You're a Christian. You're a Christ follower. Let me say this. That doesn't mean that no one can rebuke you when you have blatant sin. I can't judge your heart. All right? But if, if, if you're running people over with your car, I can, I can get upset and rebuke him. Amen. <laughs> and so don't, don't get this idea. Well, nobody's going to judge me. Come down off your high horse. You know, if you say something that's out of line, somebody will be able to say, that was, that was wrong to say. Amen. Um, uh, there are times when you do need to be able to say somebody's doing wrong. First Timothy 5.19 says, Against an elder, receive not an accusation. Don't just go be listening to the gossip, but before two or three witnesses. Have respect unto somebody who's trying to serve God. Don't just believe gossip, because believe me, folks, gossip flies, especially about people trying to serve God. So don't listen to gossip about an elder unless there are two or three witnesses, not two or three people who just think, I think he's guilty. But them that sin rebuke before all that others may fear. Amen. So there does come a time where somebody does have the right to say, I judge you. Amen. Uh, Titus 2.5 says, These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Two out of three is negative. Ephesians 5.11 says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. I find out I go into your house and I sit down and I'm in, I'm in, uh, I don't care. Listen, I'm in Sean's house over here and Sean's playing with a Ouija board. He's letting his kids play with the Ouija board. Would it be wrong for me to say, Sean, that's of the devil. Would it be wrong for me to rebuke him? Now, I need to do it in love. I need to be careful not to, not to sit there and act like I'm God. But there comes a time where it says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather rebuke them. Amen. And say, that's wrong. Amen. So don't get this idea, nobody can rebuke you. You you need a pastor who can rebuke you. You need a wife who can rebuke you. A husband who can look at you and say, you're not aligned. Ladies, let your husband say, stop it. (laughs) No, calm down. (laughs) I know the worst thing to say to a woman who's mad is calm down. I know that. But still... Don't sit there and go, you mean, rebuking me. Condemning is not a Christian's job. You know, Jesus was, was one day sitting at a Pharisee's house eating and a woman came in. She began to wipe his feet with her hair. Remember that? What did the Pharisee say? He knew. He knew the kind of woman that's touching him. What was that? What was the Pharisee doing? Judging. That is not our ministry. That is not our ministry. Our ministry, our ministry is loving, encouraging, sometimes correcting. Wow. All right. Uh, but, 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 I got a lot to say, but, uh, 
Don't let perfectionists, and I call them perfectionists, don't let perfectionists trick you out of your place in Christ. I hope you know that your pastor never once thinks that he's arrived. Hope you, hope you know that this guy lives in the flesh just like you do. And I hope you never imagine that I'm at home and the halo over my head is shining, radiating. God is verbally speaking to me at home. And in the mornings, I walk on clouds. My point is this. I don't have one desire to ever look at you and look down on you and judge you as if I'm better. Amen? And don't you ever let anybody look down on you. You may know that you know that you know you're a mess. You may know that your mind, your heart, your life isn't worth shooting. But don't you dare let anybody look down and go, like Job's friend. Oh, yeah, yeah, God's getting you. (laughs) Amen? Amen. And that was Paul telling the, the Colossians, saying, there were false teachers coming in, acting like, and I've had this. I met a, and he's a, he's a Baptist preacher. He's an evangelist. And in his presence, he gives this aura about him, like, I am holy. I am close to God, and you are not. You know what I wanted to do? Run. Because that's not what I want to be around. I want to hear the word of God from somebody who's struggling just like me and getting the victory, yes, but the point is this. Nobody should have an aura about them like, I am not, I, I don't sin anymore. Are you kidding? And perfectionists, that's what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees walked around acting like they didn't sin. Amen? And Jesus said, you have the greater sin. So, false teachers are exposed, going back to Colossians chapter 2, Verse 18 says, Let no man beguile you of your reward in voluntary humility and worship of angels and true to those things which are, which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. I'm going to talk about that in a second, but verse 19, false teachers are revealed by how they view the head. Watch this. Not holding the head. Is it a little H or a big H in your Bible? So it's a big H is because it's trying to remind you we're talking about a person, not just a noggin not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment, ministered, and knit together, increases with the increase of God. Here's my point. Um, false teachers are exposed by how they treat Jesus as the head. Is Jesus everything to your Bible teacher? Or are the gifts that he offers, the blessings that he promises, the super spirituality of the people he influences, You know, some people worship the gift more than they worship the giver. Some people worship, I wish I had your talent. I wish I had your your looks. I wish I had your, your, your ability to speak. I wish I had your confidence. You're not holding the head. You're holding them up instead of Jesus. Amen? Um, Here's a question. Is Jesus the leader you're following or are human leaders who you're following? Too many churches have worship teams up at the front that everybody wishes they were there moving the crowds. And I've watched it. I've watched it where those worship leaders, and I don't even like that term, 
because it's been hijacked, has been abused. But the worship leaders know how to manage the crowd. Are you with me? They and they get the crowd to see them and to move with them and to, and they think that it's of Jesus. False teachers and false churches are exposed by how they hold the head up or whether they're held up. You know, I've I've been to, I've been around Christians who all they quote are guys like Rick Warren. I've been around people, if you say one thing about Benny Hinn and it's bad, they want to punch you. And you go, he's just a guy. Did you know, and I, I didn't know this, but you wouldn't believe it, but your head is pretty important. You wouldn't believe that, all right? <laughs> Don't let me blow your mind here, but your head is pretty important. Do you know what your head has the ability to do? It actually controls everything about your life and your growth. The, there are gland produ- there are hormone producing glands in your head that tell you to grow. They're in your head. There are glands in your head and there are electrical impulses that originate in your head that trigger your heart. That control all the aspects of health in your body. Now we know you got the head off, they're dead. But the point is, the head nourishes the body. We think the other, we think our belly nourishes. Or we think our hand, your head is the most important. Who's our head? So your closeness to the head, Jesus, makes you healthy. Not your closeness to the preacher. Not your closeness to the worship team or to the musicians or to the gifted in church. You need to surround yourself with good men. You ought to be Craig Ledbetter's best friend. But I can't get you any closer to God. I can only... I can only encourage you to get close to God. Does that make sense? All right, now for you, that's easy. But let me tell you, it's very hard for a lot of people to separate humans from worship. And go, how am I holding the head? Am I? Jesus said, if I be lifted up, then I will draw men unto me. So what is our job? Lift up the head. The authority, the power, the person of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> anyway, he says... Um, uh, oh, let me just, I don't, I don't want to overlook these things, but verse 18 says, let no man beguile you, rob you of your reward, that's your place in Christ, in a voluntary humility. That's a crazy, uh, that's a crazy thought, and I kind of don't want to, uh, <clears throat> Some people think that if I could just become more humble, I'll be more spiritual. Is that true? No. Because you're focusing on something that is very good, being humble, amen? But if you focus your effort on becoming more humble, guess what you'll think? I'm humble. (laughs) I wonder if everybody notices that I'm humble. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. True humility doesn't think of you at all, amen? So it's not that I gotta think low of myself. No, it's that you just don't think of yourself. So, and we know all that. <clears throat> he goes on and he says, worshiping of angels. How many of you heard of religions who love to talk to angels? Morani is one of them. Catholics have Raphael. What are the other ninja turtles, uh, 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 angels that they have? That was a joke. Um, intruding into those things which he hath not seen. 
There were always, these other religious leaders are always talking about things they've never seen, and yet they talk like, oh, I know, I have a secret, I have secret access, access to God. <clears throat> Verse 20. Verse 20. Oh, by the way, I saw this, and it's absolutely, it's absolutely amazing to me, but in Nigeria, there's this pastor who, when he comes to church, and I, I, I'm just picking on one because it was so offensive to me. I could, I could have picked any one of them. But this is a, this is a pastor who, when he comes into church, the people fall down on the ground and let him walk on them up to the pulpit because they believe he's so holy, he should not be, he should not have to walk on ground. Who are they upholding? Yeah. I just show that to show that we're, this is, I'm not talking out of my ear. There are people who really are messed up. And they don't hold the head Jesus Christ. Now don't allow yourself to be the subject of man's rules and commandments in order to become more spiritual. We're getting somewhere with this. <clears throat> Look in verse 20. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ, if you're dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, from the base things of the world, why as though living in the world are you subject to all of its ordinances. And then he goes on, he lists them. Touch not, taste not, handle not. Which are all going to what? Every time you use any one of these commandments, what happens? The rule perishes. The rule breaks down. It doesn't work. Now, none of those things, like touch not. You know what perfectionists always require you to do? Don't touch that. <laughs> Anything sinful might soil you, might defile you. Don't touch a dead body. That was the Old Testament. If you touched a dead body, remember, their body was still attached to their soul. So if they touched a dead body, it defiled their soul, it said. I can touch a dead body, and it won't affect my soul now, will it? So when somebody says, touch not, well, I mean, your mom said that, didn't she? Don't touch the cookies. Leave dinner till later. But these things will not help you one bit spiritually now. Handle not, taste not, uh, taste, taste. Um, there was a, there was a, there was an experience where Saul, now Saul was so messed up, King Saul was so messed up, he thought, are you listening? He thought by forcing everyone to fast, God would look down and smile on him. So he, an unspiritual guy, made an entire army which was, was fighting against the Philistines. He says, you're not allowed to eat. And this is how we're going to become spiritual. <laughs> Don't touch anything. Well, his son, Jonathan, was off winning a battle, didn't hear the law that, that King Saul had made. And when he got back, he saw a, a stick and he saw a pile of honey and he reached in there, took out a big honeycomb and, and he started eating the honey and somebody went, oh, he's tasting the honey. We were told not to. And he went, what? And when he, when he was dragged before his father, King Saul said, he'll have to die because he violated my spiritual law. That's the type of somebody who says, you can't eat this, you can't eat that, don't touch this, don't touch that. It may be good for diet, but it's no good for your soul. Amen? No good for you. There are people who say, don't touch the Bible, just leave it. It'll mess with your mind. Trust me. All right. Don't allow yourself to be subject to man's rules. Touch not, taste not, handle not. 
<laughs> the government doesn't want you to handle your own finances. They'll handle your finances for you. <laughs> you know, some people are thinking, some people are tricked into thinking that just by making more rules and more constraints and making people do with less and less, a person can become super spiritual. It's called joining a nunnery or becoming a, a monk. Oh, and there are plenty of people who believe, oh, I, I, I just, I, I, I gotta get away from everybody. If I just could go off and live in a little hut away from everybody, I could be spiritual. Is that true? If I just ate coarse, hard, cold, dry bread every day, I could be more spiritual. Now, plenty of people believe that. Back in the 1400s, there was a race to see who could live on the higher poles. These monks actually built these poles. The highest pole, I think, that was built was 126, 127 feet. A pole, 127 feet high. And this monk climbed up there and rain or shine, sat up there and act like a guru. And he claimed, I'm closer to God. And everybody looked up to him. Let me tell you, he was no closer. Just the fact that you get away from everybody doesn't make you less of a sinner and doesn't make you more spiritual. Amen? <clears throat> Touch not, taste not, handle not. Lastly, oh, I already don't. Rules have a show of wisdom. They have, they display what looks so smart. They appear to be so wise, but they are not the source of wisdom. Verse 22, they are all going to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of who? Of men. Which things have indeed a show of wisdom? We'd say it this way. They indeed look wise to do. I moved out to the country. And now I worship God at rest, at peace, at home. I sit on my couch and I look out the window and I read my Bible. And everybody on Facebook envies me. You know what? That doesn't guarantee that he's any more spiritual than you. Living in a, living in an estate where there's shootings every other week. Rules and places and, and getting things just right doesn't take away the human nature. Case in point, Garden of Eden. <clears throat> uh, question, is it good to have rules and laws and limits? Yes or no? Yes. But having more rules and laws and limits, Will that make you a better person? No. You know what will make you a better person? Jesus Christ. Amen. And a walk with him. Some people worship willpower. Oh, I put down that cigarette and I've 27 years ago. I've never picked it up again. Amen. Good. But that didn't make you more spiritual. I know, I know people who are so proud of their accomplishments in, in putting away sin, they don't need God. You know, one of these days they're gonna be, a, they're gonna wake up in hell and go, I was wrong. Anyway, uh, laws and rules and regulations will never make you more spiritual. It's sad that so many people think that by giving away all their money, sacrificing their, uh, their lives for others, like Mother Teresa did, and they'll find out, and they have found out, they never were any closer to God. Now, <clears throat> false teachers promoted the worship of the will, of humility, and they worshiped the neglecting of the flesh, like we talked about monks. Let me just finish up here. We have nothing to do now to be spiritual. 
I can become more spiritual, but I'll tell you how in just a moment. But I, I don't have to do anything to be spiritual. I, because my spirit has been regenerated. I wish I had a better example. But one of these, let's talk this, my spirit, my soul, my body. <clears throat> because my spirit has been regenerated, I am now spiritual. Amen? I am now spiritual. I don't have to do anything with my lips or my hands in order to make me more spiritual. They will not make me more or less spiritual. Number two, you and I should endeavor to limit our flesh. Is it a good thing for you to go, I ought not to do that? I better not go there. I shouldn't watch that. Amen? Now, I should endeavor to limit our, we should endeavor to limit our flesh, our eyes and our mind and our imagination so that we can walk in the spirit. But we have it backwards. Go to Galatians chapter five. Because the Bible gladly says in Galatians 5.16, back to the left a little bit and we are done. Galatians 5.16. Let me read it like we think it should read. This I say then, walk in the law and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's what we think it should say, amen? But what is, what is, what does the Bible say? Walk in the Spirit, <clears throat> and you'll find yourself not fulfilling the lusts of the flesh. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that beautiful? The Bible says that if I focus on my spirit, if I'm worried about my flesh, I mean, it, it's just, I, if I could compare it to two boats, I'm in one boat, okay? I'm in a strong, sturdy boat. But there, I've got a dinghy. You know what a dinghy is, don't you? I've got a uh, another smaller boat tied to this thing, and that little boat is falling apart. And all I am is I'm worried about that little boat over there, and I'm worried about, oh, do I need to go over there? Do I need to paint it? Do I need to keep it propped up? Or do I enjoy the fact that I'm in a stable, strong, resilient, never-sinking ship? which is what God gave me when he regenerated my spirit. I am now never, ever going to lose what I got when I got born again. But most of us are so worried about our health. We're worried about our our jobs. We're worried about our house. We're worried about our looks. We're worried about our, our children. We're worried about everything that has been disconnected from us. Because we think that little boat, our flesh, I think that that's where we live. That's not where we live. I'm in this ship, amen? Are you with me? All right. So if I focus on being here, I can sit back and I can have a good belly laugh, amen? Because if I if I focus on my spirit and if I obey the spirit of God as I read this Bible, amazingly, I won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Hallelujah. I won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So... <clears throat> My focus for all of my life is to be filled with God's Holy Spirit now. Be not drunk with wine, we're in his excess, but be what? But be filled with the Spirit. And that is all. Filled with the Spirit doesn't mean that I go like this. Like an antenna. Remember, how many of you had rabbit ears when you were a kid? In every direction, you're trying to get a signal. No, that's not being filled with the Spirit. Nothing wrong with raising your hand. 
Nothing wrong with closing your eyes, praising God. Nothing wrong with that. But that is not being filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is listening to the words of the Spirit and obeying the words of the Spirit with your spirit. My flesh, the Bible says, I worship God in spirit and in truth. And you know what? My flesh tied on, my flesh just follows along now. Instead of me fall, can you imagine a big 40-foot yacht with with a thousand horsepower outboard engine out there in the back there that could push that thing at 30 miles an hour across the, the, the water? I don't know if that's possible or not. But anyway, imagine this huge 40-foot yacht and I got a little 8-foot dinghy out there. Instead of running that engine in the back of that ship, I have a little lawnmower engine on the back of this little dinghy, and I'm not living in the big yacht. I'm down in this little dinghy, and I'm pulling that big yacht by my dinghy. I'd be stupid, amen? And a lot of you are living your life in your flesh instead of focusing on the Spirit. And focusing on the Spirit is not that hard. It's just yielding to the life of Christ that He wants to live through you. Father, we cover a lot of things, and this must have been amazing for the for the Colossians to to read. And I'm sure they read over and over and over and over and over because it is there's a lot to it, and it's it's not just simple words. These are these are things they had to ponder and they had to get their head around that they truly were saved. They were saved because of the the ability of Christ, not their own ability. And they were complete, lacking nothing, because they were in Him. And so when somebody would come along, and it's kind of funny, there were, there were always religions who were constantly looking down on and judging Christians because they weren't living up to their religion. But it's very sad when the devil is allowed to do that. Father, we may not have many people who condemn us because we don't have holy water on the inside of our doorway. We may not have people who condemn us because we don't go to the Catholic Church like it, like they used to do 50 years ago. We may not have all the people condemning us because all those things, but we have a devil who loves to get into our head and to condemn us for, for all of our past and for all of our failures now, and we need to decide I will not let anything or anyone judge me anymore. I am free. When I do wrong, I will reap. I have what I've sown, but I'm complete and I'm okay. Yes, that little dinghy is going to bounce around and going to fall apart, but I'm born again. And that makes for a great life. I pray that we would sit back and have a good belly laugh great, joyful laugh that I'm okay. I'm okay in Christ. Not because I'm any good at all. My life could be a shambles, but I'm, I'm, I'm a son of God. I'm saved. So Lord, I pray that these things sink down deep into our ears and our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.